we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Spooked. The Scary Story Improvised Podcast. I'm Damian Depping. I'm Cody Crane. We're back for another week of uh, fun times and interesting conversations. (laughs) Oh, wow. You're starting this a little bit different. Well, I figured we have to tailor the episode to the guests sometimes and, you know, a little peek behind the curtain. But I think we have something a little bit different today. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I noticed you're coming in with a new professional attitude. You're right. You're really bringing yourself to our our great guests level. I'm wearing trousers. (laughs) You chose to wear trousers today chose to wear trousers well i do have some good news for you Dave. yes so i uh, was doing my laundry today okay and uh sometimes i'll leave a little bit of laundry at the bottom what do you mean you'll like on purpose well i just can't i won't do it all you know i'll get tired of it at some point oh oh i see you and won't I, do all of your laundry. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone okay. uh, someone listening will relate to this. Maybe. I thought you meant you just left a little bit in the washing machine. and That was it. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, today mm-hmm. I decided to do all of my laundry. Right. And what do I find at the bottom? But about $10 in uh, loonies, toonies, quarters and a $5 bill. Wow, you're rich. So it truly paid to do yeah. the whole laundry. I think today. you owe me about $15, so that that works out. Oh, perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll get that over to you I immediately. Just got to sift through your laundry basket. I thought you were going to say you found a DVD copy of something. <laughs> uh no, not quite uh not quite yet. I know but... you got those hidden in your back pockets. Well, I did find the uh Zoolander headband that comes Ooh. with like Zoolander's hair that I got right. with the Blu-ray. Was that the first or the second one? Yeah, I guess I wore that enough that I decided it needed to be put through the laundry. I feel like wearing that once might be enough. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right. Depends what you're doing with it, I suppose. But it's not all about us today. And it's not all about the money I owe you and the laundry I have to do. But it's about our guest here because we have board certified psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at New York Medical, as well as psychoanalyst analyst at Columbia University and author. We got Dr. Gallagher here. Thank you, guys. It's uh, nice to know the host has uh, trousers. I haven't haven't gone to any podcast where that's not the case, so I didn't want to talk today. 
Yeah, <laughs> that is fair. I mean, it is one of those things with podcasts, especially for the video format. You don't usually see what's below the table, but uh, we are confirming that we are a trousered podcast. I, I think it adds the comfort level. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, yeah. you're more than welcome one way or the other, sir. <laughs> We're really excited to have you here. I, I think that uh, grand introduction was important because I think that with you dealing with the paranormal and having uh, this book on uh, on deme uh, demons and possession, that you come in a very unique scope on this by having such a, a, a heavy list of legitimate credentials, because that's not mm -hmm. something that you typically come across when going into this field. So what brought you into it initially? Um, did you find that you were interested in psychiatry first or and the paranormal came later? Or have you always kind of been interested in both? Well, it's a good question that maybe has a complicated answer. If you permit me just a little bit to talk about my uh, of course. background, I'm really coming from both a scientific point of view. And uh, I certainly um, got interested in the spiritual aspect of it as well. So, you know, I had studied uh, in college at Princeton, I had studied classics and I was very impressed at the time. I'm a great lover of history, how almost all cultures throughout history had a belief uh, not only in good spirits, but in bad spirits as well. Uh, I eventually, however, decided I'd, I'd go to uh, medical school. I wanted to be a doctor, and I eventually became uh, very interested in uh, psychiatry. So I studied psychiatry at, at Yale during my residency and um, also did a uh, postdoc fellow there. And then I took a job as a uh, academic psychiatrist at Cornell Medical College. Uh, I mean, I can't say that I ever focused on something like possession or the paranormal. I had seen a few maybe odd cases. And, you know, like most young people in America at the time, I saw the Exorcist movie, which kind of intrigued me, mm -hmm. uh, especially because I was brought up Catholic. And uh, lo and behold, uh, one day, this uh, priest who turned out to be one of the most prominent exorcists in America he sort of knocked on my door at my office at Cornell, and he said, Dr. Gallagher, uh, you know, if, if if you'd be willing, I'd like to um, send you a case that I think has a demonic component to it. And, you know, I had just finished my training, and I also, as a psychiatrist, had gone through the period at that time where there was what we call the satanic panic where people were seeing Satanists everywhere. And um, there were more reports of kids kidnapped by Satanists than there were kids who disappeared in the United States that year. And in fact, you know, most of those kids were clearly runaways. So I was a little skeptical of this whole business. And I said that to him and he said with a smirk to my surprise, he said, well then Dr. Gallagher, you're the perfect man for the job. <laughs> Because he wanted someone, you know, this is a very credible and erudite priest exorcist. I call him in the book, uh, Father Jacques. In the book, I use pseudonyms for everybody's name. However, all the uh, details 
of uh, my series of cases of possession mostly um, are 100% accurate. So uh, long story short, um, I got involved with uh, evaluating cases for him and a colleague of his who um, as being among the few exorcists in America had a lot of, a lot of cases to show me. Um, I always tell people I never volunteered for this. Uh, I'm not sure it's a good idea to volunteer for this sort of thing. Um, but eventually, you know, I was asked to write articles. I wrote an article for the Washington Post that was a little controversial. Um, I was invited to join as a scientist, not as a exorcist, of course. I'm not an exorcist. I was invited to join the Vatican-approved International Association of Exorcists. Eventually, HarperCollins wanted to... Um, um, published my book called Demonic Foes, and they let me write the book that I wanted. It's it's described as pretty enthralling, but it's also a, a, a sober-minded, serious book. Mm -hmm. So I was delighted that they allowed me to write the book that I wanted. One of the chapters uh, is especially well-known. It describes a Satanist woman, and somewhat to my surprise, uh, Blumhouse in Hollywood uh, and Jason Blum um, had contacted me and wanted to make a movie of it. So almost everything I've gotten involved in in this field has been um, sort of fortuitous, uh, which I think is, as a, as a Catholic, I think it's a little more providential that way. So um, looking at it, um, I mean, you must not be a stranger to uh, controversy being someone that mm -hmm. uh, is um, with a science background and also having this kind of belief. Um, how has that weighed on you over your career? Um, do you think that there's more positive with the negative or how, how do you uh, how do you feel about that? Well, it's another good question with a complicated answer. I mean, you know, in America, we we live in a pretty tolerant country, and it's yes. it's uh, I think it's a little more religious than Canada too. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there are plenty of spiritual and religious psychiatrists, uh, many of whom I know, and uh, many of whom agree with me. Believe it or not, uh, I am a full professor, um, so. Uh, I, I don't particularly worry about my position. Um, I teach at a number of different places and those jobs are pretty secure. And if they weren't secure, I could do something else, you know? <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't say my livelihood depends on, uh, you know, the, the agreement of my colleagues. Uh, people don't necessarily disagree to your face. You know what I mean? People tend to yeah. be respectable you get some uh cowboys on the internet who pontificate about this issue and <laughs> throw all kinds of slightly ridiculous arguments but that's fine i mean this is a controversial subject and uh i'm enough of a polemicist myself that i don't mind getting into uh discussions and debates at that level on a personal level though i can't say that i've you know run into uh uh, any real hostility? Yeah, I I find uh, there's such a um, a balance between uh, uh, religion and uh, beliefs and everything like that. And I know that uh, with uh, Damien's other podcast, mm -hmm. I've uh, guessed on there before. 
um, with uh, backlash because I am um, more along the lines of an atheist or a non-believer, um, kind of more neutral, don't know what I believe in, but I do believe in ghosts. And I, I found that that had its own backlash as well to uh, kind of be like, whoa, how do you believe in that, but not that or... Well. I mean, that's one of those things about uh, especially dealing with uh, religion and spirituality and avenues where it, that is the key point of discussion. People can get very um, opinionated and heated about these things very quickly. <laughs> so it's it's sometimes difficult to kind of temper people's opinions on these things. <laughs> well, I think when you start using the word paranormal, which you mm -hmm. guys do, mm -hmm. and I, I would put that word in a, in a larger uh, non-material or spiritual context. Mm -hmm. and I'll talk about that if you want. In terms of the more narrow subject of, uh, related subject undoubtedly, of evil spirits, uh, sometimes when people ask me or pontificate to me, well, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream? I say to them, well, what mainstream are you talking about? I right. mean, in America, in America, most people and a very high percentage of people not only believe in evil spirits, but they they believe in possession. Mm -hmm. If you look at world cultures as a whole, most people around the world, you know, with pockets of materialism, especially in Europe and uh, the bi-coastal uh, elite, you might say, uh, most people are not materialistic. Most people believe in evil spirits. And if you look at history, uh, as I as I studied very closely uh, in in college, um, the vast majority of cultures have always believed in evil spirits, and they and and even anthropologists have agreed that almost all cultures uh, had beliefs in possession. So I'll say to people, you say I'm out of the mainstream. You know what the heck mainstream are you talking about? Maybe maybe you're out of the mainstream by being a strict materialist. I'll I'll say that with um you were mentioning Blumhouse as well, and I don't know how much uh, detail you can go into uh, about that kind of dealing and uh, uh, with the uh, movie that inevitably will be coming out. Um, but I find with Jason Blum and Blumhouse, it's been such a massive component of uh of uh ghosts and spirits and demons and possession and uh really has brought these horror movies back that were uh I, I would say we're gone for a little bit of time i i think the slasher kind of took over for a little bit but um has done an incredible job and it's been my favorite of uh horror movies uh for a long time and i know that uh with a big feature of uh the warrens being um in the conjuring franchise and they ran with that for a little while and i know they have their uh checkered past as well but um is your uh kind of dealing more with uh you as like a character someone portraying you or is it more than just the situation uh somewhat somewhat reluctantly i did agree with jason uh to to uh, be portrayed as a character it will be done by an actor. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, Jason, who, as you guys probably know, is sort of the, the maestro of the uh, of the genre. Mm -hmm. uh, I met him in his uh, Brooklyn Heights apartment, and he began by saying that my book was the hottest intellectual property he'd ever seen, which, <laughs> is, which is quite a compliment. Yeah, yes, definitely. So they he he 
promised me he would do a respectful movie. It is based on probably the most intriguing character in, in the book, a woman I called uh, Julia. That's not her real name, but she was one of these rare but real Satanists. And I think it's such a compelling story that uh, uh, the movie um, directed by a guy, by the way, McCarthy, who uh, uh, who uh, was director for an Academy Award winning movie. Um, uh, it, it involves uh, her story and inevitably mine as well, to an extent. I was somewhat reluctant originally to to want to kind of be portrayed in the movie, but yeah. Blumhouse, the Blumhouse uh, uh, guys convinced me that um, uh, it probably would be a more credible movie if if it was, again, uh, uh, true enough to life that I was that I was portrayed as myself. Right, kind of kind of on a tangent. I mean, I, I find it interesting that clearly your story it it sounds like a setup for for a horror film, especially how you got started into it, and then it ended up being being made into a film also is it it's it, it's really reinforcing that idea do you do you yourself enjoy horror films do you watch these kind of movies or is this just more something that's uh because it's your your day-to-day -day almost <laughs> it's not as interesting to you yeah i don't i don't really need uh horror films when i've seen enough pretty terrible things in that's... my life <laughs> I, I can't say i'm a huge fan but you know there have been some good movies mm -hmm. uh i thought insidious was interesting uh, mm -hmm. to to plug another blum uh blumhouse movie uh i thought the original exorcist which was voted mm -hmm. and won a lot of academy awards not the academy award but uh, won a lot of awards, including for uh, screenplay and that sort of thing. I thought it was well done, and it had a huge impact on culture. Mm -hmm. So done properly, this subject can, uh, can of course, be intriguing, and, uh, and if well done. I mean, there are also, let's face it, a lot of schlocky horror movies, too. Yeah. I, I think with Blumhouse, uh, you uh, you chose the right production company to be a part of anyways. I think that's the I think that's the A tier there. Uh, do you have any uh, kind of uh, say in the uh, in the casting <laughs> for yourself? Well, I think they want to, you know, they want to please me to an extent because mm -hmm. I'm sure they want me to promote it. Uh, in addition, uh, they did make me an executive producer. Oh, great. Uh, executive producer is one of those things that it's kind of whatever the honchos decide to allow an executive producer to go to do. I mean, it's not, it's not automatically. Uh, uh, and I do leave, you know, I do leave the, uh, the creative production in the, in the hands of the uh, Hollywood experts. Having said that, I, I mean, I do think I have reasonable, reasonable input for uh, uh, a movie like that. Although many of my friends say to me, uh, you know, you're now dealing with Hollywood, so careful what you wish for. <laughs> Do um, before we move on from the movie stuff, I just want to ask you one more question with it. Um, when looking at film and maybe The Exorcist is the answer, uh, but is there one that stands out to you uh, specifically as having a very accurate portrayal uh, to your experiences? Um. I don't think of anything offhand because some of them are, even The Exorcist was a little sensationalist. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually based on a real case. What Hollywood gets wrong is, uh, which I hope is a little bit corrected in, in, in our movie, 
is uh, Hollywood portrays exorcism as a type of magic. And it's not. It, this is not a witch doctor, uh, uh, you know, with mumbo jumbo prayers and an automatic result. Exorcisms are, in my experience, and I've, I've been to, as an observer, not as an exorcist, I've, as an observer, I've been to over 100 exorcisms. I've seen many successful exorcisms. Having said that, what most people in Hollywood in particular don't get right is that the victim, and, and that's what I'll call the person who is possessed, and I've seen probably more of these possessed cases than any other physician in the world, perhaps any other physician in history uh, because of the internet and Zoom and all that. So I've seen a lot of these cases and <clears throat> what people have to realize is the victim has often, generally I would say, and somehow invited the demon in and because of their own behavior sometimes. And so the victim themselves has to have to fight a spiritual battle of their own. In other words, they have to reform their life. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. The, the woman I'm talking about that the movie is gonna be about, uh, we call her the satanic queen because that's what she called herself. She was the queen of this rare satanic cult, which again, I'm not a person who sees cults and Satanists everywhere uh, as the uh, subcultural hysteria in this country still maintains. Um, but she, uh, and I got to know her very well. She gave me permission to tell her story, by the way, because not because the priests were unclear that she was possessed, she was unequivocally possessed, but because she was ambivalent about getting help. And if you're ambivalent about getting help, you're not going to be helped. And in particular, she refused to leave the cult that she was a member of. And in fact, you know, she would even admit to me that she, from time to time, because she thought she got something out of it, these people are not necessarily stupid people. They think they get something out of being a Satanist. Mm -hmm. She refused to stop worshiping Satan. This was not a woman who was gonna be delivered. And I would tell her that and, you know, she would kind of hem and haw, but eventually she dropped out precisely because she was not willing to work at her own spiritual reformation, you might say. Um, as opposed, say, to another guy I write about in the book, uh, I call him Juan, not his real name, who was kind of a drug lord, and he was uh, a uh, worshiper of, uh, a practitioner of, of a cult, a Mexican cult called Santa Muerte, which is a kind of uh, demon cult of sorts. And uh, he felt that that cult made him a very successful criminal. And in fact, he was, and he used to tell me I had all the cars, I had all the girls I wanted uh, until, until he got caught by the police. And while in prison, he was uh, discerned by a prison chaplain to be uh, possessed, but he reformed his life. And um, I came to know him well, I came to know, to like him and his wife. And, um, he eventually returned to the church uh, of his uh, youth 
uh, became fairly devout and had exorcisms as well. And eventually he got delivered. So you can see the contrast between who gets delivered and who doesn't. It's not magic, you know. Um, right. and, and that's an important point that I kind of hope the movie that we make uh, makes that point, not so much in a didactic way, but in a, in, a, in a dramatically realistic way. This episode of Spooked is brought to you by BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash spooked, S-P-O-O-K-E-D, to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash spooked. Yes. Love is in the air. That's Valentine's right. Day is Va- coming up. Valentine's Day coming up, and it's okay if you don't have a sweetheart this year. Mm-hmm. Have no fear. I know that that weighs on a lot of people, whether they have a Valentine, don't have That's a Valentine. Right. You know, and the stresses of planning Valentine's Day is a lot. It can be a lot for you, and you might need someone to talk to during this time. Self-love is important, and what better way to do that than with our friends at BetterHelp? Exactly. I know that for myself, mm-hmm. I get a lot of uh, stress while uh, doing planning and do- mm-hmm. and putting things together. That really uh, stresses me out. It um, gives me anxiety it uh, it makes me kind of just fold up and want to just stay in bed. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. So the people at BetterHelp have people to talk to you about this and talk to me. Yeah. And if you're thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp's a great way to do that. It's entirely online. So even if you are stuck in bed, what great way to start it where you don't have to leave the first few sessions? Exactly. Yeah. Just open up your Open uh, it up laptop. and get it started right there. Yeah. In bed. Perfect. You can still wear your jammies, just as I like it. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, whatever that schedule may be. Just fill out their brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And, hey, if they don't work out for some reason, you can switch your therapist at any time for no additional charge. Yeah, you're not stuck to a therapist, you know? And and it's all... And online and everything, so you don't have to have that awkward thing of like in person, and then they're just wondering whether you're, they're going to see you again in person, and it's more of a connection. No, do online, do BetterHelp. That's right. So don't forget, go to BetterHelp.com/spooked to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P dot com slash spooked. Yeah, because it, I mean, when you're watching these movies, it's often like uh, children, right? Like that's the that's the typical possession. So that's a really interesting uh, thing that uh, you don't. You're right. You don't see that kind of portrayal in the films. Um, when you uh, you said that you did, you've been um, to over a hundred exorcisms. So for all of these exorcisms, are you feeling like? every one of these people were genuinely possessed or did you ever question it after uh, the process? Well, again, I, I wouldn't go to what I call an exorcism unless I was convinced that there had been a credible discernment prior to that. And that, that tends to be the, of the better churches, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church as well as the Catholic Church has have very rigorous criteria. Many educated Protestant deliverance ministries are also rigorous about their criteria. The Catholic Church maybe has the most rigorous in the sense that 
they often require a psychiatric evaluation and they are explicitly instructed in the kind of manuals that exorcists use not to jump to conclusions and mm-hmm. to make sure that there is clear evidence of a foreign spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? There has to be stuff that rises to the level of what we call the preternatural. Let, let me digress for one second. What a lot of people, and maybe you guys use the term paranormal, what a lot of people use the term paranormal, the the the, the religious tradition, you know, which is probably applicable to a lot of early Jewish history as well as Christian and Muslim history, tends to talk about things that we call the the supernatural or the preternatural. And these are spiritual phenomena. By spiritual phenomena, I mean we we do, of course, like parapsychologists, recognize that there are spiritual phenomena, non-material phenomena. It's just think we it's just that we think they're either from from the divine realm or the supernatural realm or from a diabolic realm. So a lot of paranormal stuff is in fact mm-hmm. kind of dark. Um, but in order to discern what I would call the preternatural rather than the paranormal, you have to have these clear evidences that a foreign spirit is affecting the individual. So we're we're ruling out somebody who's just hysterical or psychotic or very suggestible. And that's part of where my role comes in to make sure that's not the case. And we wanna see evidence of a foreign spirit who emerges at some point is extremely hostile to sacred stuff. Now, a lot of people could be hostile to sacred stuff without it being preternatural. So you want to look for signs that a true evil spirit is there. And you want to get somebody who say, uh, in a trance state, uh, is able to speak a foreign language fluently that they clearly never studied. I mean, these are not people just spouting a few, you know, Latin words here and there. Uh, you want to get a person who maybe has abnormal strength to a incredible degree. You know, one of the people I write about in the book was a woman who was 85 pounds soaking wet. Uh, She took a deacon who was inexperienced and um, really didn't know how to deal with her. A 200 pound guy threw him across a room, injuring him, by the way. Uh, That's the kind of superhuman strength or other abnormal movements like a levitation. For instance, this Julia character, the satanic uh, queen, uh, even though I didn't see this exorcism, eight or nine salt of the earth people told me they saw her levitate for about a half an hour during the exorcism. So there are these remarkable, again, preternatural features and a very common uh, feature, and there are others, but a very common uh, feature found in people who are demonically um, uh, affected uh, is that they have what in Latin is called latra. In other words, they have occult knowledge. For instance, Julia knew how my mother had died 25 years earlier, but not just how my mother had died, but how hidden facts about, you know, enormous amount of other people. This is very serious. This is very similar to what spiritualists or fortune tellers will say. And we all know that there are 
there are hoaxes and there are charlatans in those um, professions, so to speak, but that these kind of people often come up with remarkable knowledge. Uh, now, unless they're spiritually gifted, which is rare, um, normally we think that the, the source of their knowledge is precisely what demonically possessed people have as a source of their knowledge. It's something much darker. Now, now we were talking about um, being involved with over 100 different um, exorcisms, and you're saying that predominantly you find um, the, the Catholic Church and like those to be the most rigorous. Have, have you been involved with exorcisms with other uh, like spiritual or religious leaders or any other denominations? And uh, how, how do you find that? Uh, process um, compared to something like this, where where you are saying that it is more rigorous. You know, you'll get you get people, um, Damien, who say, mm -hmm. uh, "Well, how come how come all the possessions are just these fundamentalist Christians?" Right. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. Possession can happen all over the world throughout all cultures. Probably the greatest expert uh, historian of uh, possessions was a guy named Professor Osterreich who wrote a book on possession about a hundred years ago and he surveyed all of history. So possessions can occur in almost in, in, in any culture and also in people who are not religious at all. For sure, for sure. So uh, yes, yeah, so there are other religions to answer your mm -hmm. question, there are other religions and other denominations uh, uh, they don't always use the word exorcism. They may use the word deliverance ministry or something like that. And yes, I've, I've, I've talked to some of those people and a very good-hearted person, like a good-hearted Muslim imam who is has some kind of notion of a benevolent God can achieve some, some decent results. I just don't find that they have the efficacy of the uh, Christian ministers and priests. I, that, that's just an empirical observation on my part. Right. Take it not as an attack on other religion, but just my observation. Is, is that an observation just based on your, what, what, um, maybe just on the numbers that you've had, you've, you've experienced a lot more of the, the Catholic side of this than versus other things or, oh, or that, is that, is certainly else true. That... that is certainly true. I have, but I've also spoken to people in different religions and okay people who have sought help in other religions and then only found them when they turned to like a Catholic priest or something. Right. I mean, it sounds triumphalist or chauvinistic of me to say that, but that is my observation. But again, I'm not disparaging other spiritual traditions who sometimes try to help people. Um, you know, the, the great Jewish historian, uh, as well as other writers of the time, uh, you know, knew that there were around the time of Jesus, there were Jewish exorcists who were getting, mm -hmm. who were getting some positive results. I I want to ask, uh, how early in the process um, are you for um, those kind of rigorous testings uh, with possession when it comes to cases that you're working on? Are you brought in um, after it's decided or are you a part of like a, uh, kind of like psychological exam or anything like that? Yeah, it, it can vary. I mean, you know, and in this day and age where, uh, you know, sort of I'm, I'm known to be open to this, there are people who seek me out on, on their own. Now, unfortunately, 
<clears throat> I think there were only 24 hours in a day, right? So, yeah. you know, I can't see everybody that I would like to see. Uh, but, you know, I do get uh, calls and requests from people, often from clergy, but sometimes from people themselves who want me to evaluate them. So sometimes it can be very early on in the process. And a number of those people do have psychiatric illnesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'm I'm called in after, say, a clergy person has already suspected that there's something. And and the most experienced exorcists can usually tell after getting to know the, the victim that there's something going on. So they may then just, you know, have a bishop who wants a formal report uh, or they may, uh, you know, want to see if there is any other psychiatric or medical condition impacting uh, or accompanying the possession. It's it's sort of a prudent thing to do. And then there are other cases where, as with the woman, the Satanist woman, Julia, where the two priests were extremely uh, experienced. I mean, they knew they knew darn well that this woman was possessed. In fact, they they introduced her to me as a uh, once in a century possession. It was so dramatic. Um, they wanted me to talk to her, sort of to explore her psychological hesitation and ambivalence about getting help, uh, which is primarily what I did. Although I observed enough stuff of my own in dealing with her that. I quickly became unequivocally convinced that this woman was possessed. Um, through uh, your um, psychiatry in the past and um, um, psychoanalysis, uh, have you stumbled across something yourself when helping people with a uh, um, a diagnosis um, that you thought could be paranormal? And how do you kind of differentiate that between someone that's uh, dealing with um, uh, something more just abnormal psychology uh, adjacent to uh, paranormal? Well, let me emphasize that, you know, most of this kind of work that I do, it's it's a kind of, I mean, it's important work, but it's a kind of sideline. You know, mm-hmm. It's a, a right. mainstream. Uh, in this sense, I am a mainstream, you know, board-certified clinician mm-hmm. psychiatrist. And I've been a very busy person for a while. I was the uh, emergency psychiatric director for my county. So I've evaluated thousands of cases. And, and you know, I sort of estimated it once recently for someone who was interviewing me. I said, I probably have evaluated about 27,000 cases in my life. And um, the interviewer asked me, well, of those people, how many people were possessed? And I said, none. I mean, none of those people were possessed. It's not like somebody walks into my office and all of a sudden I say, oh, by the way, sir, uh, you're you're completely unaware of this, but you're possessed. (laughs) That doesn't happen. I mean, I've seen a lot of, like all psychiatrists, I've seen psychotic individuals who claim they're, Mm -hmm. you know, in communication with evil spirits. They may have hallucinations. uh, They may have delusions about spirits. But they have mental illness. And, you know, like all psychiatrists, I, I treat them as someone with mental illness. But um, possession is rare enough that, you know, the average clinician is not all of a sudden going to start seeing cases that they 
have to diagnose as possessions. I mean, you know, a few people here and there might run into such a case, but it's not like it's common enough that your average uh, psychiatrist, let alone your average priest, by the way, is going to see automatically somebody who's possessed. Mm -hmm. That's sort of answer your question. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to uh, bring it back, uh, Dr. Gallagher, to your um, childhood a little bit here. And um, you mentioned that you had a Catholic upbringing. Uh, did you ever have any like kind of paranormal experiences when you were young? I know that uh, that for myself, that's why I'm a believer. That's um, they say that uh, children are more susceptible to seeing these things. I know that I had the experiences when I was younger as well as older in life. So I don't know if that's exactly true but um did you have it growing up where you uh saw any kind of spirits or anything like that no i never had anything no. like that and you know i was brought it up in an era of uh, i'm a little older than you guys i was brought up in an era of, of i mean uh you know america was more traditionally religious at the time but but right. but also had a very strong tradition of uh, belief in progress and science and rationalism. And in fact, uh, you know, I'm very, very committed to science. Mm -hmm. People sometimes think I have fundamentalist beliefs. I mean, I couldn't be a physician if I didn't believe in science. I believe in the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. I believe in uh, evolution. You know, I do think that God knew <laughs> what was going to happen with evolution. But still, I mean, I believe in the mechanics of evolution. Uh, uh, you know, this is not a world that was created, you know, 5,000 years ago. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's existed since the Big Bang. I had a guy the other day say, well, you know, a Christian can't believe, it was kind of a fundamentalist guy. He said, a Christian can't believe in the Big Bang and the expanding universe. And I said to him, well, you know, who came up with the theory of the Big Bang? It was a Belgium priest scientist named uh, Father Lemaitre, and uh, even Einstein didn't believe him for a while. Uh, but as uh, Einstein's uh, great intellect uh, eventually convinced him, uh, he eventually said, "You know that damn priest was right. <laughs> the Big Bang is true." <clears throat> Um, have you had uh, any, I know that you were talking about how uh, possession is brought uh, based off of uh, lifestyles and everything like that. Um, have you had any carryover leaving any of these possessions? Carry or do you find that not to be true? Carryover meaning what? Um, like um, we've had... Um, completely different uh, things, but we've had like psychics on before where they're talking to people and then they feel like they're experiencing the things that they were talking about afterwards, that kind of thing. Well, you have to go into this field uh, with some kind of healthy spiritual life. And I try to do that. I, I even right. have people pray for me. I'm going to ask your audience to pray for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm shameless about asking for prayers for people. <laughs> Because I don't think you can go into this naive. I actually have a friend who consults on infestations and that sort of thing, and and the Hollywood parapsychologist, and he does say a lot of those people get into trouble, and that you know he has to sometimes help them seek the spiritual help that they need. Uh, I can't say anything overtly has ever happened to me that 
I felt was a kind of after effect of residue of my experience. Thank you. How do you feel um, being a part of um, all of these exorcisms and everything like that and uh, being in this world uh, for 25 plus years? How do you feel like that's affect your own personal psyche? Well, <clears throat> I'm probably a, a calm enough guy that, uh, you know, I. Despite having some true feelings of witnessing some creepy things. I don't, I don't think it has disturbed my equanimity uh, too much over the years. Uh, look, I'm a physician, you know, mm -hmm. so why did I get involved in this? Well, the short answer is I got involved in it because suffering people asked for my help. Uh, so I get a great satisfaction out of helping people. It doesn't, it doesn't really phase me. I mean, I've seen a lot of I did an internship in internal medicine. I've seen a lot of suffering in my life and it uh, right. ultimately just gives me satisfaction to help these people. Amazing. Well, I'm uh, I'm really excited about uh, uh, the upcoming movie as well as your book, uh, which is uh, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolical Acts and the Paranormal. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. Gallagher, for coming on today and giving us your time. Um, is there anywhere that people can follow you as well, like a, a social media or a website or anything like that? I try to avoid social media, but you can certainly uh, for the you best. Know, Google me and see a lot of a lot of podcasts and, and writings that I've done. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get the book on Amazon where they have a blurb about my biography. So it was a pleasure talking to uh, two thoughtful guys. I thought Damien was going to give me more of a bad time. But he was he was very well behaved, uh, with or without trousers today. We'll uh, we'll take his word for it that he has them on. I, I must say, if we ever have you come back, I, I feel I'll be more comfortable to get dig in a little deeper. I'm uh, sometimes I'm, I'm much easier to dig into people that I'm uh, familiar with. I, I like to be respectful on the first pass. <laughs> Well, that's 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 good to hear, but uh, don't be afraid to come with the fisticuffs next time. All right. I, I, I will. I will. We'll, we'll have a grand I'll debate. Have them ready. <laughs> yeah, because I'll uh, be ready for you. Trust me, I'll be ready for you. I've been uh, I've been sparring with the best. Oh, I, I can imagine. Amazing. Well, if you want to see more on Dr. Gallagher, we'll have it uh, a full profile posted on the sonarnetwork.com as well as uh, we'll be tweeting it out and uh, posting on Instagram at Spooked Podcast. Mm -hmm. And if you want to buy a shirt, go to the sonarnetwork.com shop and we have a shirt, whether you believe in ghosts or don't believe in ghosts, we got a shirt for you and Spooked. 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 This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 